Hello from ABA Tech Show 2018 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Patrick Pallas. I'm Billy Tarasio. And, and we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Special show today. First time ever. We're going to recreate a Twitter rant. And so we have a lot of people that are joining us today. And so I do want to give the history of this. So we're going to have a moderated Twitter rant discussion as part of this podcast. And so let me open it up by giving the origins of this. So this was about a month ago and I was working on Saturday when I noticed a bunch of tweets coming in that happened to be calling out to Legal Talk Network at Signet on the Twitter handle. And so remark after remark, it went on, you know, into the afternoon. And so eventually what I did was I called everybody out via email saying, if you're gonna be so kind as to bring our good name into this discussion, let's do this on the air. So everybody here has stepped up and volunteered. So let me give the history and then I'm gonna hand it over to our moderators, Patrick Pallas and Billy, help me with your last name, I'm so sorry. Tarasio. Yes, she's looking at me with a lot of hatred right now. Just that's how we're starting this show. Anyway, so this Saturday, about a month ago, Patrick Pallas, this is as near to the origins as I can figure opened up and he said this and so this was a uh, a linked article it was the economist right Patrick? that's right that's right so the uh, title of it uh, and in kudos for writing whoever the writers were I apologize occupational licenses blunts competition and boosts inequality so Patrick shared and this was his quote will ending licenses to practice law decrease A to J which is short for access to justice gap or Shouldn't we simply regulate all legal services to create a level and less expensive playing field? Call out The Economist. Call out ABA Bar Leader. Call out Legal Talk Network. So in response to that, Carolyn Elephant, who is not here, she uh, wrote back to uh, Patrick, let's just end licensing. I'm disgusted with the protectionism. I'm handing it off to you now. Yeah, so the question was this, and I just thought I'd toss it out because sometimes if you just put it out there, then people have to respond to it, right? So the question was, you know, this idea that we have this monopolistic profession and you have to be a licensed lawyer to practice, to me is past its prime, right? So the options are maybe we just deregulate everyone or maybe we lift the tent and we bring everybody in. Hello, Rocket Lawyer, hello, Legal Zoom. Everybody who practices law should come in. And I think that's where Carolyn said, or, we just get rid of regulation altogether, which Billy, I think is challenging. Challenging, no, I, I kind of wonder what would happen if we no longer regulated everyone with regulations that none of us follow. And then it spindled out of control from there. So what were some of the more uh, remarkable remarks that you guys recall in reaction? And there was a lot, this is a big field to cover. There's a lot of subcategories to this discussion. So just wanted to get some of the panelists. So these are the ranters. So they're actually talking on rant mics. Wanted to get some of your reaction to that. Is that protectionism? Should we be licensing? Should we open it up? Who's going first? So I'll, I'll jump in. I think there are this two is things. Dan Lear this from is, yeah, Avo. hey, I'm Dan Lear from Avo. I think there are two things that we should be thinking about. The first is we should be regulating to control. I don't know whether lawyers should or should not 
like we can open this discussion about whether they should be sort of formally licensed. But the first thing we should do is we should be controlling for actual consumer harm, right? right? We should be trying to identify the greatest risks that exist to consumers, and we should be putting regulation in place to identify those risks. And sort of my second point would be, we should identify that consumer harm, not based off of what lawyers' perceptions of potential harm might be, but actual data about where consumers are complaining, where consumers are being harmed, so that we can first identify like what the risk is, quantify that risk, and then regulate to fix that risk. I don't know whether they should be licensed. I'll, I'll give a quick shout out to our general counsel who recently wrote a blog post on his blog, Socially Awkward Law, about whether we should just have them be certified, have lawyers be certified as opposed to licensed. I'm not sure whether that's the right answer, but whatever it is that we move toward, I think it should be data-driven and I think it should, it should control for the outcomes that we want. So there's my rant. So this is Chaz, and that's not, like, it's not a novel, it's not, oh, you were next, I didn't see that, this sorry. This is Chaz Ramp at the Legal saying, Zoom. I'll, I'll be quick then, that was not a novel idea. I mean, that was what the ABA uh, Futures Commission came out with and said the exact same thing. If you're going to follow these regulatory guidelines, get some data. That is a, a shocker. We shouldn't just regulate potential harms while causing actual harm to consumers, which the current regulations absolutely do. This is Mary Jutton. So I think we need to look outside the profession. Look at doctors. Doctors, they say the harm is they kill one patient at a time. Look at engineers. They kill a lot of people at one time if they do something wrong. But guess what? Engineers are regulated state by state. So this was my part of the rant was why do we have so much regulation? We put so much effort into this. Why not open it up? But put it back at the state level. This is Joshua Lennon from Clio. So we already do put this in the state level. It's called the unauthorized practice of law. And the problem with the unauthorized practice of law prosecutions is they're inadequately and inequitably distributed. So it generally arises from a complaint from a member of the bar to their regulators. It's then applied and then they target whatever the individual is without necessarily looking at the harm. And there are whole classes of harms that are ignored currently under this system. We have the data around that. For example, in immigration law, notarios, which are fake immigration consultants, are a huge risk to people who are attempting to migrate between countries. Lots of legislation has been placed upon them, but we do not necessarily see them being prosecuted. And there are two reasons for that. One, it requires a complaint. And what we're seeing is the complaints that come into bars tend to be protectionist rather than protection-based. And two, jurisdictions, because it's at the state level, limits the regulator's ability to go after the real perpetrators of harm. So just to clarify, Joshua, what I meant was we don't need to have the amount of layers that we have. We have the ABA, I'm standing at the ABA tech show. We have, you know, requirements for all the certification. It's just over-regulated. We've set the bar so high. And even in my home state of Washington, we have an alternate paraprofessional. But you have to have 3,000 hours to become a paraprofessional. Surely we can look more to Arizona, I'm pointing at Billy, where we have legal document preparers. We need to open the tent and that should be all managed at a state-by-state -state level. And do we really have to look at a lot of data, right? I mean, talking about access to justice with 70 or 80% of the people not able to get an attorney, how much data you need to say, 
the system needs to change to be more accessible and more affordable because right. we're not doing our job to protect and help the public have their keys to the courthouse, right? You don't need any data to actually say there's an access to justice problem. Right. You need data to say we need to regulate the people who are trying to solve it that aren't lawyers. You need data to say they're harming people, so therefore we have to regulate them also. That's the data that's necessary. An additional regulation, and we talk about leveling the playing field or rising the poles of the tent or whatever kind of analogy you want to make, but before we raise it up to the current level, which by the way has been pretty cruddy for the last hundred and plus years, why don't we reevaluate the entire where the actual playing field is today and see is it right then level it out instead of just saying oh let's regulate everyone like a lawyer and ta-da let's wash our hands and walk away because that's a simple and easy thing to do or the opposite which is blow it all up and start from scratch those are easy to do the hard thing is to take a measured approach and actually right regulate our profession to allow access and not cause harm I don't think you're saying I want to make sure <laughs> that there should be different levels of regulation but that everyone should have the, the same ethics obligations, no matter if you're a, a rocket lawyer, a legal zoom, a triple LT, a lawyer or whatever. Everybody comes under the tent under some form of entity regulation that, that protects everybody equally. And that the solution is not to apply the existing rubric to everyone. Right. We need a we need a rubric that more accurately addresses the landscape as it exists today. This is Janet Welch from the State Bar of Michigan. I think my role in this is identified myself in the rant as the Menshevik among the Bolsheviks. <laughs> so I would say that, that we all agree that data is essential here. But but what we need to figure out is who evaluates the data and then how that gets applied. And what I saw happening in the rant was conclusions sort of getting ahead of the data. You know, I, I see this as a multi-layered problem. You know, it, it kind of reminds me a lot of the tax code. And so it just seems like you keep adding more and more regulations to it. It gets more and more complicated, and then it gets more and more expensive to fix it. I mean, just to practice law, you know, in most states, you have to go to an ABA-accredited school, and then you got to take the bar. But you have to go to an ABA-accredited school where you can sit for the bar, then you got to pass the bar, and then you can practice. And I'm just wondering, and this is just my personal observation, I don't feel that the education that you get in law school necessarily prepares you from day one to practice law. And then you take a bar exam, which also, by the way, doesn't prepare you to practice law or take on clients or represent them. So I'm just wondering maybe if it's time just to offer revamp the bar like the bar exam itself and just let you know joe and joanna q public take it why do you have to go to law school to do this so this brings up an issue that we faced in washington with guarding to, to triple lts right so you have lawyers that go through three years of law school you have triple lts that go through essentially a year of training triple lts specialize in family law they come out of a year of training as uh, a triple lts with probably greater expertise and knowledge than any lawyer's going to have coming out of law school who didn't spend a year focusing just on family law so the question who's more qualified is a matter of where your skills and training are there is room i think in the regulation to recognize that different levels of skills can be recognized under some broader regulation that protects consumers and protects the public. Enter Chad Burton from Cure Legal. All right. I like ranting and yakking as much as the next person. Let's talk about how we're going to do this going forward. I agree on the data piece. We have this really good futures report that came out in August of 2016 from the ABA. 
Let's use that as the guide. Let's start collecting the data. Now the question is where it's gonna come from and that is part of Jana's question. I think Mr. Powell is here with his summit concept that is percolating here and getting together people who are walking through different parts of the profession and working in different parts of the profession. I don't think this is gonna go up through the ABA to the top and get you know new model rules first. I think what we're gonna to need to do is have this group that comes together and then we're gonna to have to you know, start knocking off state by state until we start to get, you know, that we get the data, we start knocking off states and get those rules changed, and then this will percolate up throughout the rest of the country. So let's rant. I've been ranting at people on this topic this entire time at Tech Show. <laughs> right. I think I was kicked out of two meetings yesterday because of it, which is awesome, and I'll keep doing it, but we need to figure out how we're going to act on it. So I hope after this, we'll start moving forward and acting on knocking some of these things out. That's all I got for now. I just wanted to add, there was a recent article series that I've been writing on triple LTs, and it referenced an article that was written about comparing a triple LT to a recent law grad who's written the bar. So full disclosure, I just sat for the Washington State Bar last week. So I have as much knowledge as a recent graduate on family law. There is absolutely no way I could come out and do a custody dispute. And the idea that because I've somehow gone to law school, I should be able to split marital property. It's crazy. I'm not more qualified than a triple LT to do that. So I think we really need to just push these almost like defensive protectionism type responses to everything that's new. And so I agree with Chad, like, let's all sit down, let's figure out because it's got to be led by a state. And I think Patrick, you and I share the whole, like, let's go Washington. We will, we will do this. It would be a great state to start this trend. And it's a great state generally. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about trying a lot of different things. We're talking about bringing everyone under the tent and also blowing up the regulatory system. And it's not either or, they both have to happen. All right, so there's gonna be a lot of destruction before we rebuild it if you wanna do this, right? But what I wanna do is define access to justice a little bit. That was one of my big takeaways from your Twitter rant was not everyone's definition or understanding of the term access to justice is the same. So I wanna open that up. Who wants to hit that first? I'm not defining it today because we're not there yet. So here's what we have out there. We have great studies that show that there is a number, pick your number, it keeps rising. I think we're at 86%, which that's a good starting point. So one of the things we're working on now now is actually defining and creating the metrics on how we're going to eliminate and solve that gap. We can keep talking about reducing it, we can keep throwing money at different things, but we actually need to come up with the metrics. So that's next. And then we can actually dig in and figure out where are the actual gaps. I think, and this not too many people push back on this, but it's possible the way we're looking at it now is wrong. And so we need to redefine this number possible. and look at possibly, possible. possibly. That number may be wrong, so we need to go in and break it down and create the metrics. And this is Chaz. I also think that so many people have used a term, the moniker access to justice or A2J, that it started taking on a meeting. And that meaning is not necessarily kind of unified 
among the people who are using it. Right. And it's why I've actually kind of stopped using it because I think people will listen to that name and they'll say, oh, that means this without actually thinking about what it means. And I've started talking about meaningful access to legal services. That could be criminal, it could be corporate, it could be uh, just about anything, it could be trust in a state or, or credit monitor, whatever it is, it's a service that has a legal component that you do not have access to meaningfully, which means at a price you can afford, at a quality that fits your lifestyle. These are things that we need to figure out how to define. And I agree with Chad, we can't define that right now. We don't have enough time, but we need to start talking about it as something new, not something that's old and trying to rebrand it. When I think I uh, read somewhere, and, and Billy, you practice in family law, it's like, and I think it's in Arizona, I think, don't quote me, but like 80% of people cannot you know, dissolve a marriage. They can't, they can't deal with the problem. So I think it's defined by what Chaz is saying. It's not so much as a concept in the positive, it's a concept in the negative. It's like, I can't get a solution via the law. I think that's the access to justice problem. Fortunately and unfortunately, laws, they transcend over everything that we do. And so this is, it seems to be a growing problem. There's more and more regulations every year and not everybody has access to an attorney. So I just want to toss that right back into the arena. Often they are looking at how many people go to court without an attorney. And they're determining that if you go to court without an attorney, you don't have access to justice. And I think that that's a fundamental problem because there are people who go to court all the time without an attorney and that is in their best interest and they're making the best decision for them and they have information and they've had help and that's the decision they're making and we as lawyers are saying you haven't gotten access to justice because you haven't gotten an attorney and those things are not the same yeah this is Catherine Rage. I want to interrupt and comment on that um one thing I just read that 74 percent of litigants in civil litigation are not represented and we have a huge pro se client base that are doing it on their own I think education for the public is being ignored here. People can Google, they know how to search for information, they don't know how to interpret necessarily. So lawyers need to go out and start teaching the public and changing the perception of lawyers because I hate to tell everybody, most everybody thinks that lawyers are mean, bad, whatever, because their experience has been they got a divorce, they had somebody sue them, something like that. So there's a perception issue, there's an education issue for the public that's going to help kind of, I think, smooth the way towards more access to justice, whatever that definition is. Catherine, I'm going to push back on that. I don't think it's an individual attorney's job to train the public. I think we've got organizations upon whom we rely to communicate on behalf of the legal profession to the public. And we need them to be stepping up as part of these educational campaigns and selling legal services as something that benefits the public as a whole. Could you mean bar associations? I could mean <laughs> bar associations. But you know, one thing I'd like to see with bar associations is I'd like to see a real press for plain language. You know, and I come back to the tax code because that's just on my mind today. But uh, <laughs> but the tax code is so complex, you can read it. I mean, you know, most people can read in the country and you read the tax code, you have no idea what you owe. And I think that's kind of been the path of the laws and lawyers are writing the laws. The lawyers don't agree on what the laws mean. And so we're in business, you know, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm wondering if leadership at the state bar level would say, hey, you know what, let's redraft our laws, plain language. Like when Abraham Lincoln was alive, you know, you, you were a lawyer if you could read, basically. I mean, the laws were written a lot more simply. And I'm, so, I'm wondering, and I've never heard this, is that part of the problem? Throwing that up. Well, I mean, it's a piece. 
you know, in Washington we have plain language forums for family law, for example, is a way to do it. But that's a piece of accessibility. And I toss out to you, I think tying the first two issues together, that we're never going to be able to provide affordable legal services to people that need it until we change the regulatory structure that allow lawyers to practice at a cost-efficient way, right? We have problems with law schools and law school debt. We have the fact that being a lawyer is just too damn expensive. We can't bring our fees down enough, right? There's a whole problem with no investment back into the field so that we can change the way we practice, find new tools and new solutions. It comes down to me to this, regulation. You're not going to have real access or opportunity for affordable services until we change the basic structure of the regulations to make that possible. And we need to change legal education. There needs to be more options. So I would like to go back to what Joshua was saying. I disagree. I think it is lawyers' jobs to educate the public. I think it is our job to be talking to the public about what we know in their language so that they can understand us. And I think that it makes us better lawyers and better business owners and brings in more clients. I, so I'm totally with you, Billy. I want to retreat what you said. I want to favorite it. Um, no, I, I think it's called bar associations currently, most of them don't have an economic interest. Like they get no right. benefit for extending themselves to the public. And we can talk about what their role should be, but you know who does have an economic interest? Lawyers who should be running their practices like businesses. It's called content marketing. This is the way that you step out of your office and reach out to consumers and communicate to them about what they need and help them understand their services, your services, so that then they come to you and purchase them for a fair price. So this is Joshua Linder from Clio. I speak to lawyers every day. And while, Dan, your content marketing idea is great, it's gonna differ greatly based on their communities and their audiences and their clients. And so we're talking a blanket solution. And I don't think that's the case here. What they need to do is what's best for their business and their community. What our greater profession needs to do is a different question. And that's where we need to have that education and advocacy at a greater level to bring all the public together, not one law firm's clients. All right, so obviously this conversation to be continued, but what I wanna do right now is because I, I'm grateful that all of you stopped by. We're at a conference, everybody paid to be here. And so I just wanna give everybody an opportunity to give a little contact information. I'll go first, I'll go first. I'm on Twitter, Lawrence, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-E-S-Q, you know, which is short for Esquire, and that's on Twitter. And I'd like, uh, who's next? Billy, you wanna give some contact information? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at MyModernLaw. And Patrick Palace, you can find me at Palace Law, or you can email me at patrick at palacelaw.com. Mary Jetton, and that's on Twitter. Mary, and then J-U-E-T-T-E-N. And uh, I'm Chaz Rampathal, LegalZoom's general counsel. I am at Chaz Ramp, C-H-A-S-R-A-M-P. I'm Joshua Lennon, the lawyer in residence at Clio. You can hit me at Twitter at, at Joshua Lennon. Janet Welch at SBM Exec Director. Chad Burton, CEO of Curo Legal, and Twitter is at Chad E. Burton or Chade Burton as well. I'm Catherine Reap from the Chicago Bar at C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-R-E-A-C-H. And I'm Dan Lear. I do outreach for the legal marketplace, AVO, and you can find me at Right Brain Law. That's right like the hand, not the uh, signature. All right, so right before I close it down, uh, my audio engineer here had a genius idea. You know, we had a rant. 
and then we had an audio based on the rant, so a podcast based on the rant. But we don't have a hashtag for this rant, do we? What can we call it? <laughs> hashtag legal rant. Legal rant. All right, let's do that. Let's do that. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us, and I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road, Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Bye.